Good morning. In reverence for God's word and the reading of it, if you are able, please stand. Today's Old Testament reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And our New Testament reading, excuse me, is taken from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to you for your word, and we're grateful, Father, for your spirit who helps us to hear your word, and we ask for your help now. Help me, Lord, as, as I speak your word, and may you be glorified. And we ask, Lord, that you would make yourself known to us, and Lord, and to those who don't know you, to those who are listening, wherever they may be that they too may enjoy your presence. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning. You know, if you have relationships with real people, you will at some point need to ask them to forgive you or you will have to forgive them. And you have relationships with real people, right? Not Siri. 
or some doll or something. You know, that's not, that's, those aren't real relationships. You know, they, those are imagined. But with real people, you might have to ask them to forgive you. And at times, they might have to ask you to forgive them. But when you ask for forgiveness from someone, do, do you count on their forgiveness changing you? And when you forgive another person, do you expect your forgiveness to change them? And if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we would, we would, yeah, that, is, that is what we hope. Because you hope that the offender will not offend you anymore. Or you hope, if you're the offender, that asking forgiveness will change you. But it doesn't. See, forgiveness in and of itself doesn't change you. I mean, how, how often have you asked for forgiveness for something and only, only to find that the next day or maybe the next few minutes, you're doing the same thing oh, again? You see, you're forgiven, but the forgiveness didn't change you. See, forgiveness can do a lot. It can bring relief. It can make you feel better. It can promote reconciliation. Yeah. This is a wicked use of forgiveness. It can be used as a tool to maintain power over another. But it can't transform you. It, or, or and it can't it can't cleanse the conscience from the residue of the debris of, of guilt that has piled up over the years of violating it. You and I need something more. The transformation we need can start with forgiveness, but there needs to be so much more. Paul Tripp, whose book we're following as we go through this series during Lent. He writes this, he says, you can forgive me, but you are not able to change me. What you did for me, forgiving, was wonderful and kind, but because you are human and limited, it is not enough. The cross of Jesus Christ not only brings us forgiveness and reconciliation, but it also brings change. How? How does the cross bring about this change in us? The text that we just read in Hebrews 9 tells us that it's by means of his own blood. See, when the word of God, what the word of God is showing us is that by means of his own blood, by Christ's blood, we have the gift of good things that have come. We've been granted access into a greater and more perfect tent and gained eternal redemption, which gives us gracious transformation. Now, let's think about this. The first thing, by means of his own blood, we have good things that have come. This is what verse 11 tells us. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. See, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about the superiority, the, the superiority of Christ over everything that the, that, the, that the Hebrews had understood about relating to God before. The, the whole sacrificial system that God had given to them 
in what was, is being referred to here in the text as, as the sacrifices of, of goats and, and calves and, and the first covenant. All of that is being replaced by a new covenant, as verse 15 of chapter 9 talks about, wherein Christ is the high priest and the mediator. It looked at verse 15, it says this, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. See, Christ is the mediator and high priest of this new covenant from God, this new contract, this new promise. The new covenant has the promise of good things that have come. The good things are the content of, the, of this new covenant. And the Lord, so this, the Lord first mentions this new covenant to the prophet, through the prophet Jeremiah, where he says, as we read earlier, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 33, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the content of the new covenant. But then in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 through 27, the Lord details how these good things of the new covenant are how they're brought into our lives. He says, I, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you notice... Do you notice the grace of God in the new covenant? He does the cleansing. He gives the new heart and the new spirit. He places his spirit within you to cause you to walk in his statutes and obey his rule. It's God at work in you. It's not, it's not from you. And it's happening right now in the heart of everyone who relates to God by his power through faith in his son. You see, that's, that's, this, that's key, this relating to God, because scripture places the utmost importance on relating to God. And you can only, you can only relate to God, you, can, you can't relate to God without his help. He's holy, we're lowly. Yet, he doesn't despise us, but works to bring us into a relationship with him through the gift of the good things of the new covenant of which Christ is the high priest. Brothers and sisters, God only gives good gifts. Amen. Yes, and Christ is the mediator of the good things that have come. 
and there's more, since through Christ we have been granted access into a greater and more perfect tent. Look at verse 11 and, and the first part of verse 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. See, Christ as much more superior, as a much more superior high priest and, and mediator of the good things of the new covenant, he has brought us into places that were previously inaccessible. You see, the people under, were, were they understood this. The Hebrews understood that the high priest, they couldn't enter the most holy places. So in the tabernacle, you know, the, the tabernacle that the, jet, that the Jews had, the tabernacle wasn't the real place where God was dwelling. The tabernacle was a symbol. It was made after the pattern of the real heaven. You know, this is, this, that's what the text tells us in the Old Testament, that, that those things were, were after the pattern. So, the, so the, 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 that holy place, that... That the, that the high priest could only enter once a year. So they, couldn't, they couldn't enter whenever they wished. But they could only go only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so, so access to the presence of God was limited. And it wasn't permanent. So the high priest had to, had to keep offering goats and, and bulls morning and evening, and it was ongoing all the time. There was, uh, there was always sacrifices happening. Why? Because we're so sinful. There was always sin taking place. There was always the need to be cleansed. And it was never enough to bring them into the presence of God and to keep, or, or to keep them there. See, sin separated us from God. Sin within us, sin within the community, sin outside of us, all of it kept us from being in God's presence. You recall the Garden of Eden, before sin, or what we call the fall, the man and, and the woman enjoyed unfettered access to the presence of God. And the text tells us that, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after the fall. But the way that the text reads, it sounds as if, you know, it, it, it's, it's that they were used to the sound of his presence. So what happened? Well, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were cast out of the garden and the presence of God. And paradise, that paradise of God is now blocked by a, a sword signifying that the, that the only way back in is through death. But now, the scripture tells us, when Christ appeared as high priest, he enters the greater and more perfect tent. Not the, he enters the heavens of heavens. He enters not many times, but once for all, he enters the holy places. He's not, the, he's not in the tabernacle that's made with human hands, but he's in the real holy place, the one, the one that the other is patterned after. He enters into the real presence of God before the Almighty Father. And why is he there? He's there as our advocate. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 tells us, how to respond to the access into the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Since, verse 14 of chapter 4 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I see, now, because we have this unlimited access into the presence of God, hold fast, the text tells us. And we can hold fast since by means of his own blood, we have gained eternal redemption. Look at verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the, of the blood of goats and, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, the problem with the first covenant and the, and the blood of goats and bulls is that, that the cleansing needed to be repeated over and over, never really providing a, a permanent solution to, our day, to their daily struggles. But when Christ, who's enters the Holy of Holies, offers his blood, it is eternal. And it's never, it's never to be repeated. And the debt is paid in full. Now just imagine. Imagine. You, you've, you're, you're in debt over your head. Some of you may really be there. I don't know. And it's like, it's like there's no end of the payments. Your paycheck is a sacrifice to the bank gods. And you're paying and paying and paying and, and it never seems to pay. You never seem to pay enough. But you have a rich uncle. He dies. And in his will, he authorizes the, the executor of his will to pay off your debt. How thankful would you be? You say, I don't know. It depends on the size of the debt. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It, it does. It depends on the size of the debt. Yeah, if it's a dime, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so if your debt is in, in eternal debt and it's in, in its size and, and, and its nature, it's eternal, you're, yeah, consider, consider that. Consider the debt that you owed to God. You can't repay it. You couldn't have repaid it. Psalm 49, verses 7 and 9 and, and verse 15 expresses our dilemma and it provides the solution. Listen to what the psalmist said. He says, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. See, there's no, there's no way that any person could pay your debt. There's no way. No regular person could pay your debt and give, you, and give you and secure for you an eternal redemption. But verse 15 says this, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Hallelujah. Yeah, you see, no animal... Or, or a regular person's blood could atone for our sins. Christ, the scripture tells us, by means of his own blood, he paid the ransom for our souls. Christ completely qualified. Christ's blood is human, it's holy, it's heavenly. Christ's blood gained for us eternal redemption. And if your faith is in Christ, your debt is canceled forever. See, that's a good place to say amen. 
Yeah, your debt is canceled forever if your faith is in Christ. By means of, of his own blood, we have forgiveness and reconciliation, but we need change. And the, this eternal redemption demands that, that we are made fit for eternity. So that by means of his own blood, Christ gives us gracious transformation. Look at verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you see the transformation here in the text in these verses? The transformation is from dead works to serving the living God. Dead works to serving the living God. But what does that mean? Okay, well, so to understand it, we must look, we got to look back. We got to look at the comparison that's being made. Because the talk, because this talk of a sprinkling of, of defiled persons, you know, this is a reference to Numbers chapter 19, where, 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 where they were instructed, where the children of Israel were instructed in ways of, of being cleansed, not just individually, but as a community. It's ways, so... So it was, it, was, it was in their daily lives and ongoing, and ongoing struggles with sin and just, and just the, the encounters that they might have. And one example in, in Numbers 19 is that, you know, you might have a dead person in your house, which was not an uncommon thing. Today, it, well, it still happens today that you might end up with a dead person in your house. Yeah, yeah, mostly, most of the time they're family members because you're caring for a family member and they die in your house. You know, so that would have made you unclean, the house is unclean, and then somebody has to come in and, 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 and there's, a, there's a sacrifice, there's a sprinkling that's made, that person as they're doing it, they become unclean as well. So, so I mean, it's, this is, these are just everyday occurrences and, and things that occur over and over again. The encounter with sin and living in a sinful community and here God is giving them a way to be cleansed. They had to help one another to be cleansed. And in refusal, in Numbers 19, refusal to be cleansed, to be cleansed, alienated you from the community. And your uncleanness you retain. And also, in helping to cleanse someone, you yourself would become unclean and, and must be cleansed. Now, the point of the, of the writer of Hebrews is that he's, what, what he's making is, it's, is, is if by all of that ritual, a person was made ceremonially clean in the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our consciences from dead rituals to serve the living God? How much more? More. There that idea is, again, the superiority of Christ. How much more? Consider the superior qualities of Christ. His blood is offered through the eternal spirit and without blemish, the text says. There, these are, are qualitative descriptions of the divine spiritual personality of Christ. His spirit is without beginning and will have no end. Hallelujah. That's why death couldn't hold him. I'm glad we sang that this morning. Yeah. That's, why, that's why death couldn't hold him. He is without sin. And because of his sinless nature, he could come, as the, as the scripture tells us, in the likeness of sinful flesh 
and for sin, condemning sin in the flesh. He took on our uncleannesses. Microsoft Word doesn't like that word. It's like, you know, that's just wrong. But, yeah, but it accurately describes us, our uncleanness. He took on our uncleannesses to make us clean. Thank the Lord. And since Jesus could make this exchange for us, he has the power to transform us by his grace. And this is available to all. And you see, there's, there's, there's no hope of changing without Christ. There, there's no hope of, of, of fixing yourself or, 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 or anyone around you. The government can't do it. Your doctor, for all of their training, they can't, they can't make the type of change that you and I need happen. There's no hope of changing without Christ. Paul Tripp reminds us of the damage that sin does to our conscience. He says sin causes the conscience to be unable to see what it, what it needs to see to sound the immoral alarm. And sin blinds the conscience so it cannot function as God intended. Sin also causes the conscious to be blind to its blindness. Chuck Colson, in his book, Who Speaks for God, he tells the story of Albert Speer, and, and, and it's an interview that he saw on, uh, of Albert Speer on Good Morning America. Now, Albert Speer was one of Hitler's confidants, and, and he, was, he would be only the on, he would be the only one of the 24 uh, criminals that were tried at Nuremberg who would confess his guilt. Speer spent 20 years in, in Spandau prison, and the interviewer asked Speer a question about his earlier writing. So, so you know, here you've been a mur you you taken part in the murder of millions of people. And he's living to write about this. This is back in like 1981. And this is, here's what the interviewer says to him. You have said the guilt can never be forgiven or shouldn't be. Do you still feel that way? And Colson, he gives his, 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 his response as he, was, as he was watching. He said, I will never forget the look of pathos on Spears' face as he responded, I served a sentence of 20 years, and I could say I'm a free man. My conscience has been cleared by serving the whole time as punishment. Now, I don't know, you know, as you hear that and as you read it and you know history and you, and you know what happened, what, what was done to the Jews by Hitler's machine, you wonder how in the world could he say that? How could you think that? But... Here's what he says, but I can't get rid of it. This new book is a part, so you'd written a book, of my atoning, of, of, clean, of clearing my conscience. The interviewer pressed the point, you really don't think you'll be able to clear it totally? Spear shook his head. I don't think it will be possible. Albert Spear, blind to his blindness, doesn't know Jesus Christ. You see, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, there is no hope of transformation. So what do we, what do, we do? It's, 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 
you know, we, need, we need the forgiveness of God, but much more than the forgiveness of sins, by means of his own blood, we have been brought into the presence of the Most High, freed from guilt, freed from our conscience, our conscience purified, freed. The blood still works. Ha, hallelujah. The blood still, yeah, we used to sing that song. The blood still works. Yeah, the, the question that you must answer, though, is this. Are you in Christ? Now, so think of it this way. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're traveling by plane, you know, there's a difference between being outside the plane and being inside the plane. Outside the plane means you're seeking to secure yourself to the plane. And you can't enjoy the benefits of it since you're trying to keep yourself outside the plane. If you are outside the plane, you won't be able to reach your destination once it's in the air. I know that's absurd, but that's the, but that if you're outside the plane, that's what that's what happens. You can't you can't hold fast. But in the plane, you get to enjoy all the benefits of the plane. You get drinks. You get snacks. You have the security of the seat belts. You know, they, they even put a bathroom in the plane. So, I mean, they just thought of all creature comforts. You, know, you, have, you have servers and the flight attendants who are, who are helping to make your trip pleasant. And inside the plane, you will arrive at your destination too. And it's all because you're in the plane, not outside of it. You see, in being in Christ, it's similar, it's similar to that. Being in Christ, you get all the benefits that belong to Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ is yours because you are in Christ. In Christ, the good things that have come are yours. In Christ, you've been granted access into the perfect place of worship, the holy of holies. In Christ, eternal redemption has been gained for you. In Christ, gracious transformation is happening. You are being perfected. Hallelujah. Therefore, don't hold back on the confession of sin. Don't hold back on the, on the pursuit of holiness. Don't hold back in, in, in feeling that, like, that, that, that you're losing your life to, to some war or, or disease or, 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 or poverty, that, you're, that somehow you're enslaved to, to the creditor because you've got, you know, no, you're in Christ. In Christ, you will live forever. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great truth? In Christ, you live forever. So don't fear, don't fear to forgive since You've been forgiven. And don't be paralyzed by recurring sin because what the text is telling us is that, that since Jesus, our high priest, has shed his blood not only to render us safe, but to make us holy. Not only to deliver us from God's wrath, but from our wickedness. Hallelujah. 
Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34 makes this great promise. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall know, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Brothers and sisters, Christ is that covenant. By means of his own blood, God is continually transforming us by his grace till we are saved, as the song says, to sin no more. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that our desire? Paul Tripp, again, he writes this. He says, the cross doesn't just purchase God's forgiveness for us, but it also changes us. And at the heart of that change is the conscience that has been cleansed by the transforming grace of the blood of Jesus. Every time you see sin ahead and avoid it, and every time you look back on what you have done with moral grief, you are experiencing the grace of the cleansing of your conscience. Yeah, those are not, they're not points for discouragement, but they're points to celebrate the, the joy of your salvation. So during the season of Lent and our journey to the cross, it's not a focus on, on, on what you have lost as it is a focus on what you have been given by means of Christ's own blood. It's not a focus on what we have, what we have sacrificed, but what the, the end of Christ's sacrifice has accomplished for us. And through faith, we have the certain hope that we will be in the paradise of God since Christ faced the sword of God's judgment on the cross. See, on the cross, he experienced being out of the presence of God so that you and I could be brought into God's presence. Bask in these truths, friends. Order your life around them, since by means of his own blood, Christ has given us an identity. He's made us priests. He's given us intimacy. He's called us to serve. That's a word that, that means to worship. He's called, and, and he's given us a destiny where we will handle and care for the worship of God. And that's an outline for another sermon on another day. Let's pray. Lord, the salvation that you have given to us is greater than we know. And we, Lord, we can and we will spend the rest of our, our days and, and eternity pondering the depth of these glorious truths of what it is that you have done. Your word reminds us that at the center, in the center of the city is your throne, the throne. And on the throne is a lamb who looked as if he had been slain. We will ponder these things, Lord. So help us, oh God, help us to order our lives in the light of these truths and to live together in the light of these truths for the glory of your name, experiencing your joy and your delight. For it's in Christ's name we pray.